The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. Now, in my last episode, Miraculous Healing, one of the stories that I talked about was Dr. Wayne Dyer's experience with John of God. And while I have no doubt that Wayne was healed from leukemia, the man that was credited with healing him was later convicted of terrible crimes against women. So I wanted to follow up on that story with a deeper look at John of God and the nature of healing. So my guest today wrote an article about her own experience that was published on HuffPost titled, I found healing with a famed spiritualist, then he was arrested as a sexual predator. Jessie Asya Konzer is a writer and former broadcaster who now shares her videos on IGTV. Jessie, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. Thanks for having me, Nadia. Thrilled to be here. It is really a joy. And I think that the title of your article says it all. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely caught my attention. And that's why I reached out to you because... You know, after I was researching the stories of healing for Dr. Wayne Dyer, I came across the convictions of John of God, and I was just horrified. But I didn't want to just sweep it under the rug or pretend that it didn't happen, because I think this is a really important conversation for us to be having, especially in the current climate with so many stories coming out with abuses of power and the Me Too movement. Um, so I'm really happy that you agreed to come on and have a little chat with me today. I'm, um, really, I was happy when you reached out because this article was published a while ago and I love the idea that a story you tell can live on after you forget that you told it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely continues to reach people. And I believe you published it on March 13th of last year mm-hmm. and 313 is my number for Wayne like oh wow he used to wake up at 313 every morning and that's when he would get up and do a lot of his channeled writing and so whenever I see 313 I feel like that's my little nod to Wayne and it was like mm, contact Jesse let's have this conversation <laughs> that's that's amazing because um Dr. Wayne Dyer is a big inspiration for me as well so I didn't know that when you reached out, um, that we also had that connection. So it makes sense. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, why don't we start with how did you first hear about John of God? 
Uh, John of God um, first came into my kind of sphere, stratosphere, when um, my uncle, who I was close with, we immigrated together from the former Soviet Union. He, um, he got cancer, and it was stage four. And I think for a lot of people at that point, they start searching for any kind of healing that, that might be available. Um, he was not, by the way, my uncle was not generally a spiritual person. Uh, I hadn't thought of him in that way. He was an intellectual and a funny man. And like, well, when, when the bleep hit the fan, he did become spiritual. He started studying Reiki and he, somebody in the spiritual realm, spiritual world, told him about John of God. He had at that point already been seeing a Russian healer. And so anyway, when he learned of John of God and the miraculous healings that were, um, that, that he was set to be responsible for, he wanted to go there. And my father being his best friend of many years accompanied him. And when they kept, came back, they brought these pictures. Now I was always a spiritual person as far as I can remember. So it very much interested me. And I was looking through the pictures. And in one of them where my dad was shaking John of God's hand, you could almost see kind of a, a spirit behind him doing the shaking. It was a very weird, strange picture that I'm sure people who've dealt with um, searching for something may have seen these kind of pictures. Uh, I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about. Sure, and, like the orbs or there's yes, like a, exactly, a light that exactly, comes in. Yeah, exactly. And I just felt like I needed to go. I was in a n not good period in my own life. Um, I was depressed and I had an eating disorder and I just couldn't find my way. And I kind of almost, oh, I I'd had a bad car accident um, where I have some scars from that. And I did end up with a, not a crazy settlement, but a settlement where, you know, I just, never really had money. And I thought, okay, I'm going to see John of God. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision. Now's your opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I purchased a ticket and, um, kind of to go there, you get a guide. So I got, you know, you get a guide, like that guides a group of people to the Casa. It was a very, um, regimented kind of situation in order to go there. So you find somebody who will do that for you. You find a place to stay. And I did all that very quickly, just kind of decided and did it. So when you got to Brazil, what did you experience while you were there? Um, so I kind of had an idea of what to expect because I would just annoy my dad for details. I wanted to hear what it was like. And I expected um, an air of peace, and I got it. Like when I got there, I um, – and I'd also, by the way, read a books and um, – I think I read a book and some – website material about what to expect when you go there. A lot of people had written about their experience. So I was not disappointed. I felt that the kind of a special energy there in Abajania, it's um, a rural part in uh, this rural town in Brazil, that the whole town really um, f fed off and existed around the, the casa and the people coming to get healings. The whole town was centered around that. So it was a very special town to go to because everybody there, like so many of the people coming through there were searching for healing, believing in healing. And you felt that like as soon as you stepped off the bus, um, it was a 
special kind of energy. And at night, one night, I remember coming out in the dark just to see lights, strange lights kind of traveling around. And um, it was said that Abhijanya sat on a giant crystal bed. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of crystals being sold there. And I guess my experience was what I had expected it to be. Um, I didn't expect to meet people and instantly feel close to them, but because we were in kind of in the same, in the same type of journey, it was immediate. And it was a very kind of kind, peaceful experience. Yeah, there's a bonding that happens when people are coming, I think, together with, with such faith of any kind. And I had watched some videos about John of God, and I think something like 30,000 people a month come down to this little tiny town that, you know, has a population much less than that. Well, so, they did. Yeah, they definitely did. <laughs> so did yeah. you, was there a lot of, was it like a big group that was there? Were there a lot of buildings? There was not, there were not a lot of buildings. It was very sparse, easy to find once you were shown the way. Um, everyone kind of stayed in little pusadas. They were called around the complex, the main casa. Um, everything was walkable distance and I kind of figured out where I was going to stay after I got there because that's what these places existed for. Um, there were tons of international travelers, Americans, Europeans, but also every day a bus of Brazilians would come in. Just yeah. not, we're not staying there, but we'd just come to visit John of God for the day. And you went by yourself other than the, the guide that you were with. That's, that's quite courageous, really. You were on a pilgrimage. Yes, yes. And the guide was just somebody who would meet us once we got out near the castle. So it wasn't like, it was somebody who did a group. So you had to join a group. But yes, I was by myself. Uh, for the first time, I think, I, I, I could almost say for certain I was, that was the first time I traveled alone. Yeah, that's a big deal. So I had heard that there's like a prayer room that where people sit that are, I don't know if they're waiting for healing or. So there's, there were, I remember several rooms and one of the rooms you get invited to, if I guess it was said, if, if he senses or someone else senses a strong kind of current energy, energetic currents, you kind of want to sit in that room, but it was also the room for the stronger people, not like the ones who were super sick. So that was a separate prayer room that kind of, was set to help keep the current for John of God to do his killing, the energy current. So I did get to sit in that room one of the days. Uh, it was a, that was a strong experience because everybody sat and meditated for many hours in general there. Um, and a, at some point you would get a chance to line up and go before John of God, but mostly it was a lot of sitting and meditating. But the yeah. current room got to, it was a separate room that was like closer to him. So I know some people that go there have, what they call a physical surgery, which is rather alarming. And then there's yeah. also the, you just walk up and shake his hand. And is it the entities that are said to know whatever it is that you need healing with and, and come in and, and intervene? Is that? Yes. Um, there's, so there's physical surgeries, which are the most kind of scary kind. There's also a lot of, um, I forgot the name for it, but it was kind of energetic surgeries. So mm-hmm. if you were, Psychic surgery, surgery, I think they call that. Yeah. Thank you. If you're prescribed (laughs) that surgery, you still have to treat it. They were very strict about that as an actual surgery, meaning like you got to rest the night before, 
you got to go to bed. I think Wayne Dyer, what Wayne Dyer experienced, if, I, if I'm correct, was um, spiritual surgery. Like nothing was physically done to him. Yeah, he, so he... Sorry, go ahead. He actually had a, a remote surgery. So he yeah. was going to go down to Brazil with a friend of his and then ended up staying behind because he had writing deadlines. Mm. Um, so she arranged a remote psychic surgery for him for the leukemia. And yeah, I detail that in, in the last episode, Miraculous Healing. But I think he didn't really know what to expect, but like something definitely happened. And to this day, I don't think he would be able to tell us what that, well, maybe he's dead now. Maybe he would know now, but <laughs> now he would, now he would. <laughs> but, but while he was alive, I, I think it was kind of a big mystery, like something happened and, and now I feel different. And, and he didn't, I remember that he didn't believe and I get it. Like, it's hard to believe these instructions that you have to actually treated like a real surgery. So I think yeah. he got out of bed and was like shaky. Like you actually, so to, um, to get to my point, my experience, I did not, I was not prescribed, um, a physical nor a physical nor a spiritual surgery, which makes sense. Cause I was there for spiritual reasons and for mm -hmm. kind of emotional reasons, but I was, so if, even if he doesn't prescribe your surgery, he prescribes you a treatment plan. Okay. And it was not him. It's a, supposedly the entities working through him. And right. um, an interpreter like jots it down super quickly. Um, for me, it was a certain amount of visits to the local waterfall, which was said to be a special waterfall. Um, and three months, I believe, of certain kind of herbal pills and abstaining from alcohol, pepper, and sex for three months. I think it's actually a passion flower extract that he, he has in those in those herbal pills and it's i think it's like the same herbal pill for everybody and this is the you know yes. you either are prescribed the pills or not but right and but what was said was that the entities um change the pills energetically according to what's needed so the pills the basis was the same it was nothing special about the chemical or basis of the pills or the the right fauna put in there a flora flora sorry put in there but um it was said that the entities put the energy you needed into those pills. Well, you know, I'm a big believer in the power of a placebo. So <laughs> um, yes. I think everybody has a certain amount of skepticism. And I'm sure even a lot of the people that made their way to Brazil had skepticism, but but probably also had a lot of hope. Um, I'm sure not everybody had a positive experience or felt that they had healing. Um, did you see anyone there who, you know, <laughs> was like, I'm not too sure about this, or I've been here before. And um, I didn't see anyone like that there because the people who returned and uh, people I became friendly with was this family next door. They returned every year. And there's yeah. other people I met that returned every year. So if you were returning, you got something from it. Right. They weren't even returning for any particular healing. For them, it was like a tune-up. A tune-up. I love yeah. that. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not sure today if, if he was the best man for the job, but I love the idea of a, of a spiritual tune-up or even I, a pilgrimage for that matter. Yeah, right. I'm sure they don't, I'm sure they don't come, come these days since he's in prison, but yeah. Right. It's probably a little harder to receive 30,000 people a day from, from, <laughs> from Although your, I yourself. I haven't looked into this in a long time, but I think they continue some sort of a meditation area in 
in that place because they do believe the people of that town believe that the town itself is special as well and and um, yeah. and a town of um, you know like built on crystals and that it has a special energy of its own so I think I'm sure people still come but not in those numbers yeah I mean I kind of feel that way about Hawaii like there was something mm-hmm. special in the land and and there's this energy that I felt like promoted healing and um, Maui was a special place for me but uh, you know John of God had a mentor like he wasn't the first person to be doing what he's doing right. there was someone that he learned right. this from and I think he did it for 40 years and yeah, treated cool. millions of people some of them very famous um, you know, the one that I had talked about, obviously, is Wayne Dyer, but but there were others. And yeah, you talked about his experience of, okay, so he had this remote psychic surgery. And in the morning, he's like, well, I didn't really feel anything out of the ordinary. I don't remember anything. I'm going to go ahead and go for my 90-minute walk. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make it 500 feet outside his front door, mm-hmm. and he collapses. <laughs> and his two children had to carry him back into his condo. And he was sick for a week like flu symptoms. He could barely eat anything. It was bizarre because he felt fine. Then all of a sudden he didn't. And then he had the suture removal, which is scheduled for seven days after. And he wakes up from that. And I'm going to read a quote from, from his experience says, I feel like I am pure love. My plants are pure love. The ocean is calling me to come swim in this liquid love potion. My children look like angels to me. I feel strong, hungry, and totally blissed out. I have no idea what took place in my bedroom last night. All I know for certain is that the world and everyone in it feels very different from anything I have ever experienced before. So it's like something happened. Now, whether that was John of God or whether it was Wayne's faith in his ability to heal, whether he opened himself up to something that that enabled healing? I really don't know. And I'm not coming here today with answers because I don't think this is something that we have answers for. But I think it's a really important conversation to have. You know, is is it possible to separate the healer from the sexual predator? Like, can both exist in the same person? Or was the whole thing a hoax? So, I want to believe the first. I really do. I also am not certain what I believe, but that's what I, I personally, when I was there, I definitely felt something was happening for me as well. Um, I was much more tired than usual. I slept like, like a baby. Like I can't even remember sleeping like that for ages before because anyone who's struggled with psychological well-being knows that Sleeping is one of the things to go and it's not, you know, everything I I was experiencing insomnia and I just was able to sleep there. I was able to feel like my old self before I got messed up. That's how I felt there. Um, It didn't last for me and I had to do a lot of, it's not like I came back. So it was, my experience wasn't as black and white um, as some people describe, including a what Wayne Dyer, I I came back to my real life and it didn't last that feeling, and I still had to work through a lot of stuff. But I definitely had a amazing experience, not just amazing, but a spiritual shift that happened there. So the good question that you asked is, 
was it was it John of God as the healer or was it just because even if that was part was the hoax what I know for certain was not a hoax but I know for sure it was not a hoax was the intention of everybody there and that intention I think might be as strong or or might even make John of God irrelevant is what I'm thinking yeah. the intention of so many of us to not just find healing for ourselves but we sat in these current rooms and supported the people walking through and getting healed so it really felt like a oneness experience which is so hard to come by where we were there as an organism to heal that's beautiful and what a community experience that that is pretty rare to have everybody coming together not just for one purpose but with so much love radiating and you know when for me also when i found out about what john of god did that was a super dark moment I didn't want to believe it my husband kept bringing it up because this was way before I met my husband and he knew of my pilgrimage to Abhijanya and he kept saying you know there's this thing that I've read about this isn't where you went right and I didn't want to believe for a second like I, I couldn't so it wasn't that I didn't even want to I just didn't register that as possibly being John of God because of right. how I'd experienced him and how I'd experienced that it was just it would be like, you know, saying that about Jesus for someone who's of a Christian faith. Like, I really believed in this guy. And I think so many of us did. So by the time I actually sat down, something, obviously something in some part of my mind stayed. Because I did at some point look at an article and realize it was, in fact, John of God. But it took me a while. Yeah. And coming to terms with, you know, putting those two experiences, the the truth that came out in my experience together was hard. But what really helped me through the spiritual reckoning is remembering the love that so many of us, it wasn't about me, it was just this feeling, like I've never experienced humans in that way. You know, I came as a refugee here, and that's a super difficult experience, and I, like my my own cultural um, upbringing, Soviet peoples are very cynical. Mm-hmm. It was an very atheist society. There was not much belief in anything that wasn't practical. So I'd never really experienced that type of community before. And what I understood was it's as much, if not more, the community as whatever healer is being put in front of us. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think the the people that you connected with, the kind of collective energy that was being cultivated there did have a lost lasting impact, not just on you, but probably everybody who came through that space, whether that resulted in physical healing or not, you know, probably everybody felt it. Yes. Like my uncle, for example, he, he didn't live. Um, he did die, but he died in a, he had said himself that he found a sense of peace. And so not everyone is meant to not pass from whatever it is that's ailing them. But I think passing with peace is a huge gift. So he was able to do that. And I do believe that he went twice. So that pilgrimage for him meant something real. Yeah, we all, I mean, we all got to go someday. Yeah. (laughs) For for better or worse. We we don't really know what comes after. So it might be better. I don't know. But um, removing that fear. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm is everything. You know, if we, if we could walk through life without being afraid, 
what could hurt us. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, since that, I started analyzing the experiences because like you, um, and I'm sure so many of the people listening, like when, when you're a spiritual seeker, you will be part of, you'll find yourself in communities and different healers, lecturers, speakers. And what I found is a similar experience with healers where you you go for the healer, but you feel a community. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's beautiful people like Wayne Dyer who do do this work with the best of intention. And But I still think, and I, you know, we, we can't know, but I think Wayne Dyer would agree that it was as much the intention of his listeners as his own power to speak to us. Yeah, you know, we we talked a little bit about um, gurus uh, when we chatted earlier and and spiritual teachers for that matter. And, you know, what I've recognized is that we bring out something in them, our intention and our expectation and our energy of what what we're looking to for them brings out something that may not have been there otherwise. So did people bring their own healing and pull it out of this figurehead? Uh, did it come from the community itself? Did it come from the land? Um, was it not really any of that at all? Like, you know, maybe we could just sit at home and if we believed enough, we could heal ourselves. There's this study of uh, knee surgeries that I don't know if you've heard about, but it was to test the impact of different types of knee surgery for this one particular condition. And so everybody had an incision. They couldn't see what was mm. happening. Some people had scraping done. Some people had like something else done and some people had nothing done. And the crazy thing was that everybody healed equally well. Wow. Even the people who only had an incision made. And so to me, that represents a beautiful example of the power of the mind. And when I saw John of God jamming scalpels into <laughs> into people, I don't even want yeah, to yeah, detail yeah. it. It's just, I try to erase it from my memory. But I think, you know, when we have something physical on our body, it almost allows us to believe that now change is going to happen, that now I can heal, that now something's going to be different. Sometimes we need like a physical mark or physical manifestation to be like okay my life is going to change right. now right or even an, a pill to take like i i wondered later like why did we have to buy those pills technically couldn't the entities just send the energy straight to us so it, it, i think some because we're physical beings or at least in partially physical beings i think you're right that we do look for something tangible it's some i mean there's definitely something psychological there yeah. about you know, if you swallow a pill and this pill is supposed to take your headache away, then maybe you start feeling better, but it was really a sugar pill. Like, um, I would actually love to label my own sugar pills and be like, you know, this one's for stress and yeah. And, yeah. and this one's for whatever, right? Because I think that there's something to that and that action helps us kind of bring that into form. But I don't know. There's so many questions about healing. There's there's a famous quote from uh, Miriam Hasna, which says, a healer does not heal you. A healer is someone who holds space for you while you awaken your inner healer so that you may heal yourself. I love that. And maybe that's true for doctors as well. You know, um, Western medicine, <laughs> yeah. um, Eastern medicine, 
um, alternative options. There's so many things that we have accessible now, and some of them work for some people, and sometimes they don't. But, you know, there's something deeper that's going on. And as a spiritual seeker, I, I look to spirit for answers to so much of the material world. Like I like to say there's so much more going on in the world of the unseen than, than there is even in the world of the seen. Like we can't see with our eyes, like there's something bigger moving the pieces around. You know, I think that even in quantum physics, you, you look at something close enough and it's nothing but energy. Mm-hmm. So that's not just this woo-woo idea that we like to toss around of, ooh, we're energy. No, we actually, we really are. <laughs> like everything yeah, really is. Yeah, a microscope to us, yep. Yeah, and I, I find that as I age, it's an interesting experience because I get more spiritual naturally because of the experience of this world. But understanding, like, I don't know if you've had this experience because I know you're a mom as well. And sometimes I don't feel any older than my children. Like, I know I have this job of having to raise them in the physical realm, but sometimes I don't feel, like, I really don't feel my age. I feel like I'm still a child or at most a teenager figuring it out. And what I've realized is our body actually does change, but whatever the spirit, the energy within us, it it changes not in accordance to time. So it's not like our soul gets older, yeah get more knowledge but in a way it's maybe becoming younger i remember my parents saying it's a really weird thing to like see your face changing yeah but they didn't really feel different on the inside i mean i think there were maybe more subtle changes but it's like the inside didn't change as much as the outside did and and that's probably we're not really this outside right that makes me think like we're not really these this physical form yeah. Or something else. It really Or it's really a transient me. expression yeah. of our soul. As far as my kids go, what I like to say is the only difference between me and you is I got here first. <laughs> right. And I truly believe that. I, yeah. I so I was the youngest of three girls. <laughs> and and I remember always feeling like, what does age matter? Like yeah. if my sisters can do something, I should be able to right, do something. Right. And you could say that was just because I was the youngest and yeah. I didn't want to have limitations or whatever. But I feel like I've carried that feeling throughout my life. And yeah. now that I have two little kids, I look at them and I go, the only difference is I got here first. Now there are some big things that come with that, meaning mm-hmm. I have the experience. <laughs> Right. I've been through things you haven't been through. I've learned things that you haven't learned yet, but it's really just a matter of time. So like when I ask them to do something and they do it, I say thank you because I recognize that they don't have to obey me. Like I am not inherently. And good luck making them sometimes, right? (laughs) Well, that's right. They're their own people. And if we don't know it, they're going to remind us. But um but yeah, it's like we're we're all souls on the earth, and I don't look at children as being inferior to, no, <laughs> to adults no, by any means. Not. And in many ways, I would say it's probably the opposite, just because they're still closer to source. They're still closer to their their natural energy and their their belief in what can happen. And we kind of train them out of that. And oh yeah, I have you know, so much look- more fun on their level sometimes than on my own. <laughs> Yeah. And they bring us back to that. It's almost like a second child. It's an opportunity for a second childhood for us, which for many can be 
so healing. So I'm I'm really thankful for my children and, and to be a mother because it does, it's like this full life experience, right? And, and you gain perspective by what you've been through. And I can look back and go, oh, I really missed that. Or I really liked that time. Yeah, but I got to experience it. And now I'm experiencing this. And that adds, yeah, that adds to, to the richness of my life. And I think the older we get, the more we think about our bodies, (laughs) the more aware we become of maybe we have limitations, and maybe we get in touch with our mortality. You know, I lost my father a year ago. And that that really shook my my foundation. Mm -hmm. And sorry about that. Thank you. I, I think that's another important point to make is that like, death isn't a failure. Or I think our medical system tends to look at, you know, if that person didn't stay alive, it means that I, it means that I failed, but we need to exit at some point. I mean, we didn't come here to to live eternally in this form. So, um, so many people that go for healing and then they end up dying and then people say, oh, it didn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was garbage. And a lot of people assumed that Wayne Dyer died of leukemia, which he didn't, which is to me, I think the most fascinating thing is he felt healed. Now, whether that was John of God or his own connection to the divine, um, I don't know, but he felt healed and he never went back for more testing because he just didn't want to slip into that cycle of, the numbers and what are my chances and all of that. So it wasn't until they did his autopsy that they looked at what was going on in his body and there was no trace of leukemia. It was it was it heart heart related? He had a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. Which which a lot of people peacefully die that way. Yeah. At a certain age because like you said you have to go at some point. Well, it happened on yeah. on the anniversary of the most significant day of his life which is the day that he gave forgave his father at his mm-hmm. grave, August 30th. And it happened overnight when he was at home after he had come back from speaking in Australia. And, you know, I remember Reed Tracy um, from Hay House saying, mm-hmm. you know, I bet he died at 313, right? <laughs> because he used to wake up at 313. And it's almost like, wow, what if instead of waking up, he really woke up, you know? <laughs> well, now that you told me that, I love that. I have to go check, but I love that that article that you found was published on 313. That means Mr. Dyer might want to want this conversation to be taking place. I tell you, he has been bringing people to me left and right. And I think he is, I think he is still out there just having a ball and still wants to teach us the same messages that he was here trying to teach us in his life. So I, um, I kind of sample a lot of um, spiritual teachers. I was listening to Gabby Bernstein at one point. Mm-hmm. And I don't listen to her a lot, so it's not like. But I was listening to, I want to say um, maybe a recorded podcast, but or it might have been on her um, Instagram page. But I, um, he, she did say at one point because she was also a big follower of Wayne Dyer. So many yeah, current, because so many current spiritual teachers are right, and so she said that Wayne Dyer came to her at one point, and she contacted his daughter, and he said. Whoever is still on the spiritual search, I want them to know I'm, I'm available for them, that I'm still available for them, which I loved hearing that. That's he must, be, he must be there with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's not, he's welcome to come in. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, he, um, I saw him several times when he was alive. 
And he had a huge impact on my life. Now, he didn't know who I was, <laughs> but I kind of felt like we were friends just because he had such a positive impact on me and like I knew all his stories and you know, there's not a lot of people in my life that I can look to and be like, I just agreed with everything that he said, <laughs> you know, <laughs> usually there's some reservation yeah. with any organization or any person. It's like, oh, yeah, I really love that. But this other thing, I'm not so mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about this and it just seemed like everything that he said, everything that he talked about was just like, yes, yes, yes. Like, uh, it just resonated all of it for me. And, and he brought together all this ancient wisdom, these these tombs of books that I wouldn't even attempt to decipher. And he took that information and he brought it out to the rest of us. So my admiration for the work that he did is intermingled with thousands of years of spiritual wisdom that has filtered to our modern times and just kind of wanting to hold on to that, integrate that into our life. And I think that we have made such leaps technologically. And sometimes we need to stop and think about like, is this the direction that we wanted? Like, just because mm -hmm. we can do something, should we? Right. And I feel like right. we're kind of catching up um, from an ethical perspective, from a moral mm -hmm. perspective, mm -hmm. from a religious or spiritual perspective and and so many people stepped away from religion because there was an abuse of power right again as there's a theme right abuse right. of power that's and the human, human that's the human struggle right there's always that human need for power that seems to come out in anything that we do yeah okay. and then people people who experienced judgment and hatred or violence in the name of God or in the name of a particular church often walked away from those organizations and threw the baby out with the bathwater. And so I think one of the reasons why when I came across this story of this person who impacted so many people, I didn't want to just sweep it under the rug, right? Like, oh. what is going on here? And what do we do with it? Because it's not just John of God. It's it's our entertainers and our comedians and the people who are in charge of so many different businesses that it's now coming to light that they have abused women particularly. Yeah. And um, what do we do with that? Right? Like Bill Cosby. Yeah. I yeah. grew up watching the Cosby show. I love that show. I, I still look back on that and think, oh, like, I just love kind of the 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 family that they represented and like the kids could come and talk to the parents about anything but they still had their own lives and like and it was so new york it, it was like so like it was it was yes. very cool yeah it was, it was so are we There's, supposed to not like that show anymore like not have because exactly cause it, it kind of taints the fond memories of the show um yeah yeah no I yeah what do we do with the cosby show or what about yeah. michael jackson was oh he a God, pedophile but he's right? still Michael Jackson, like, his music, yeah. Michael Jackson, yeah. right? Like, I grew up with that. He was like a hero. Right. Now, I think it's dangerous to worship any person. Well, we're, as, we're, we're starting to see that, right? Like, we shouldn't be putting people on these pedestals. <laughs> we are all one. Which is ironic, but, right? Um, because so many of them are being knocked down right now. <laughs> well... Yeah, I think I think that's synchronicity. I think that's I think that's divine timing. I think that's part of the awakening that needs to happen and it is ugly. 
It is painful and it means that we have to sort through the mess. And I think so many people don't want to look at it. So many people don't want to talk about it. You know, and it's like you're one of millions of people who who went to see John of God in good faith. And you're willing to talk about it, which I think is rare because so many people would just like lock it down, throw away the key and never talk about it again. So why did you write that article? I, um, I came to writing um, a little late in life. There's so many different things I tried, um, acting included and all this stuff. But um, I, with therapy and all the spiritual searches, what really actually healed me fundamentally, because, you know, I, I became a mom. I, I have two girls, which is funny when you were talking about your sister. I, I didn't have sisters. So to experience even watching sisterhood is very fun and interesting and a different dynamic. But I wanted to be healed because I didn't want to bring my shit to them. I had one child at the time and I really wanted to be healed. And so I started writing and only in hindsight did I understand that my writing was really for me. Like, I'm like, I'm thrilled that it, it started to get published and I'm working on a book now. But honestly, the writing was for me to heal the stuff I couldn't make sense of. Yeah. And that article was at a time when I, shortly after I found all of that out about John of God, and I just needed to understand why I needed him to be real so badly. And what, so if we don't talk about it, and it's just something that happens, and we find out about it, and it's this monster, and everyone went to him for healing, and let's just lock it away, then I think that's a wasted opportunity. Me too. I wanted to mine it for the lessons. So I think everyone can come out with their own lessons, but if we don't go look at the ugly parts of being human, then we're getting nothing out of it. Mine it for the lessons. I love that. And that's such a big part of spiritual work is that shadow work, right? Is yeah. that looking at where are the sources of pain? Like what what are the things that are um, getting in the way of feeling good or feeling God? And, yeah. and a lot of times it's those, it's those sticky spots. And sometimes it's family abuse. Sometimes it's like this person that you loved and trusted who was a family member abused you. And, and how do you live with that? How do you, how do you work through that? So this is a theme that maybe historically hasn't been talked about, but I think that there's value in releasing the shame. And I, I definitely feel that it's like peeling an onion because there's so many levers of levels of shame that we carry. And some of it isn't even ours. I, I definitely believe in like in a generational pain body and yeah. you get it as women. Like sometimes you stop and you have to ask yourself, is this even mine? And some of it is, um, sorry, my TV turned on by itself, by the way. Is that, is that, from that's the okay. That's some kind of a, I think that's a sign. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I've been doing that ever since. That was actually, it's funny that you found it because I've done um, a good amount of personal writing since then. But that was my first big publication of something uber personal. Yeah. And at first it was uncomfortable. And then I realized, who cares? Like, I really did feel the shame of like, am I going to be judged? And, you know, I, I was revealing not just that I went to John of God, but that I needed it so badly and the reasons why I needed it and all my mess ups. And in the end, it was really healing to admit how imperfect 
we are. Not all of us are pedophiles, thank God, but all of us. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> right? But like all of us have ugliness in us. Yeah. Or some of it is pain, some of it is, but it's, we're complicated beings. And so it's much healthier, I think, to recognize that um, than to, to keep trying to be perfect and keep sweeping under the rug the things that are shameful, maybe. It's living with these shades of gray yeah. and not continuing to try to make everything be black and white, good people and bad people, right? Like like this we love, this we hate, right? We Inside everybody, inside me, inside you, inside everybody is the dark and the light. Now, John of God is a shocking example of someone who seemed to be doing something so holy and so evil at the same time. And I think that's why he is a good person to talk about, not just because of who he was, but of what he represents. He is almost like um, a pure example <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, of the best and the worst in one, in one person. And um, I think it's really easy to say, this guy was a joke like nobody should have ever gone to him you guys are all idiots like see he was just it was a total scam and I just don't think it's that simple and in your article you wrote when people are sick whether of body or soul they will do anything to get better it was devastating that a miracle maker took advantage of those most vulnerable I'd been a cog in a machine that gave power to a monster my beatific memories of healing were a farce. I felt lost, yearning to recalibrate. And I think you've had a little bit of time to kind of process some of that and look and look back on it. And I, I admire that you are continuing your spiritual search, continuing bringing messages of, um, you know, healing and spirituality to the world because I think there's more people waking up every day and, and looking for answers that aren't easily explained. And our most personal stories tend to be the most universal. If we understood that we weren't alone in our pain, we would never feel alone again. You're so right. You're so right. That's when we feel separate. When we feel like, I'm hurting. Nobody's going to understand this. I did something to cause this pain and, and I'm ashamed. And, you know, like for so many people who went to see him, they probably are feeling either they're defending him, which I can understand why they would, because they need to believe that in order for their, you know, their belief structures to, to remain in place, or they're just embarrassed or ashamed or never going to talk about it. So, for all those people in that position, if they're listening today, what would you want to say to them? I think first and foremost, I would say that whatever healing they experienced was real. The question is not whether or not their healing and the connectedness and the oneness that they felt was real. The question is who was the one responsible for that? And I think the scariest thing to consider is that it might have been you yourself. You know, it's like uh, Wizard of Oz. You had the power yeah. all along. <laughs> the wizard behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, like you are your own. I truly believe that each one of us can be our own healer. But 
it takes time to get to that. And it's okay to need, to need somebody to look up to and to need somebody to teach you what you might have forgotten. Or like you said, like when you listen to Wayne Dyer, you feel like you agree with him 100%. I think I feel very similar. I'm sure there's so many people that feel that. I think that sometimes we do seek, and rightfully so, someone to tell us what we might know already, but we need it stirred up within us. And it's okay to look for that. It's okay. And it's okay to fail in looking. I mean, it's not just John of of God. There's been yogis that have been accused of sexual misdoing. And the way in the Catholic Church, priests, priests, uh, so many of them had done horrendous things to the people that believed in them most. It's not, we the seeker should not be shamed. And we the seeker should not feel the shame. And the victims shouldn't be shamed. You know, whatever, whoever (laughs) committed the crime, the victim should never feel shame. But that just, it seems to happen almost every single time. You know, that you just feel like you take, you take responsibility for something that wasn't yours. What a good way of putting it. It wasn't ours. That's right. We're just doing our job of being the seekers. But what I, what we can do. So I think that for me, what's been the greatest remedy for feeling this kind of vulnerability or shame or nakedness, what's been, or like disempowerment, what's been the, the best remedy is to find the lesson. So for me, the lesson of this whole ugliness was that we are what we're seeking. Like we are the healers and the heal that we're so much more powerful than we thought that it was us bringing the healing that we can do that with someone or without someone. We could, we could find each other as equals and not need a guru, or we can even do it on our own if we, if we focus enough. And the, the idea of being the power and the, the healer yourself is a very empowering So for me, finding that was empowering. For someone else, it might be a different lesson. But I think that from all the ugliness, there's always a lesson somewhere under there. Yeah, the power was always within you, Yeah. right? And whatever method awakened that for you, hallelujah, right? Embrace it. And and it's important not to put anybody on a pedestal. Which ironically, um, right, like we said, they're, they're getting torn down now. Somebody by the yeah. way, no, there's all kind of different views, but somebody said to me, so what, should we just knock down all statues? And I said, you know, <laughs> that you mention it, why not? Like you said, <laughs> why should any, just because somebody had more power or more leadership or, 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 you know, in their job or somebody's more famous than somebody else, should anyone really be put on a pedestal? Worshipped. Right. Like, yeah. we all it's a house of pedestal? cards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this illusion of power that is so often misused, like those people aren't inherently any better or any smarter or anything than than the rest of us. They just, you know, got propped up enough that we believed in it. But but yeah, the the healing is within us. And I'm going to leave it with a quote from Wayne Dyer looking back on this saying, I can see clearly now that my experience with John of God and the miraculous results that followed these strange happenings were all a function of my shifting to a more God-realized place in my life. So it's important to note that when he died, 
none of this had come out about John of God. Like he didn't, this wasn't him trying to excuse his experience. Like John, John of God was still a revered healer at the time of Wayne Dyer's death. But even so, he wasn't handing over all the credit, right? Mm -hmm. He was leaving enough space for the mystery of saying, I don't quite understand it, but I experienced healing. I am well. I am perfect health. So, Jesse, you are a writer and a contributor on IGTV. Can you share what you're working on now? Sure. Uh, Thanks for asking. Um, I was very much inspired by Wayne Dyer's book, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. Uh, As was I, yes. And I was not as much of a follower of Wayne Dyer, like meaning I didn't read as many of his books, but I love to listen to him. I did study the Tao Te Ching for a long time, and I valued his interpretation. And eventually my writing started to become more spiritual because that's where I will always lean, you know, kind of that's where I'm always going mentally. And I started adapting my essays as interpretations of the verses of the Tao as a mm-hmm. kind of female interpretation in um, some of some lessons from a motherhood and some lessons from being objectified and some lessons from being an immigrant and an outsider. So uh, I started to kind of formulate a way to view my own life and the lessons from some of the ugly parts of this life. And also to see it through the micro and the macro to see how the world right now is reflecting some of these lessons. And so this is all a book in the works called The Way. Um, that's a working title. And mm-hmm. th- this is, this is the book I'm hoping will come out whenever, whenever the moment is right, whether it's 20, divine timing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe on March, you said 13th. <laughs> Yeah, 313. <laughs> but um, yeah, it might be, who knows, it might be in 2021 or even in 2022. But one day, that's what I hope to put out in the world. Well, that sounds fantastic. And I, I am a big follower of, of the Tao as well. Um, I think Wayne was actually the one who introduced it to me, like so many things, because I found him when I was a teenager. Oh, wow. <clears throat> but the, the Tao Te Ching and the almost the energy behind Taoism, right? That it's it's this direct connection with the divine that is really just about being a good person and how yeah. to live a good life. Yeah. And I would love to have you back on when you finish that book Thank and you. talk about the Tao Te Ching. That would be fantastic. I look forward to it very much. So what is the best way for people to reach you? Uh, you can find a collection of all of my essays. This includes New York Times, LA Times, all the big papers, some of the smaller stuff. That all lives or uh, links to that live on jessiecanzer.com. That's J-E-S-S-I-E-K-A-N-Z-E-R, jessiecanzer.com. And my uh, social handle on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook as well is at jessiecanzer. Fantastic. Well, go check her out because her writing is really phenomenal and definitely caught my eye. You know, this is only the second time I've had the opportunity to chat with you and I feel like we're old friends. So uh, I've really enjoyed spending this time together. Oh, I did as well. Thank you. To all our listeners, thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life and telling your friends about it. For more information on my guest today, you can find her at www.jessiecanzer.com. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. 
You have the power to heal from within. Namaste. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.